You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another exciting edition of Global Trade This Week. I'm Pete Hollywood Mento, and uh, joining me, as always, is my, uh, my right hand, the Starsky to my hutch, the, uh, the TC to my Rick, it's uh, it's Doug Draper, everybody, and um, you know you're probably wondering why I have on my sunglasses. I do. That it's, was my very uh, first question. Because the future's so bright, I've got to wear my shades, Doug. It's, it's um, you know, there's just there's so much so much brightness in front of me, so much hope and joy. You know, uh, I had this blinding future in front of me. I had to put on the shades today. Um, <clears throat> So much hope and joy, my friend. Yeah. I've gone Hollywood. There's no other way to put it. I've got to hide from the paparazzi. Things are just so great for you and I. Uh, all this exposure that we have, all the many media outlets that we're on. Um, I've got to hide from the press. You know, just the other day, I was at I was at Starbucks and and someone said, "Are you Pete Mento?" And I said, "Yeah." And they said, "Your your Trenta cold brew is ready, so you can leave now." It's gotten <laughs> to that point where. Uh, you yeah, know, I'm I'm just it. that noticeable. Right. How, how are, well, how are somebody, you, pal? I'm good. I'm good. We we've been doing this show for a while, and I think one of the first ones it was I can't even remember. It was two Christmases, two holiday seasons ago. <clears throat> you made mention there's two types of people that uh, you said uh, Sinatra said there's two type of people that wear sunglasses right. in summer. Do you remember? Yep, that's right. Uh, he said um, douchebags and that blind kid Stevie Wonder. Yep. Yep, exactly. So I don't know if yep. you just called out yourself on that one or not, but we'll just we'll call it even. We're gonna go with it today, buddy. I'm uh you know, I'm I'm just feeling it. I'm feeling our our rise to stardom, just how massive this show has gotten. Um, you know, we are we're we're just international superstars of global trade, Doug. That's just how it. it is, pal. Yeah. I so I know you're on a tight crunch this week. Um I, I did vote. I know that you and, and Keenan are, uh, are vote by mail guys. So we've yeah. done our civic yeah, duty this week. Vote by Dropbox. I don't think uh, here in Colorado, if you didn't drop it in the mail, like several days ago, wouldn't, wouldn't make it. So we're vote by, by Dropbox, right? Maybe five, five blocks from my house. There's a rec center. So uh, I will be participating in the drop this afternoon. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right, man. So why don't you kick us off with topic number one for Global Trade This Week brought to you by Cap Logistics. Yep. So this one is going to the uh, the China's zero COVID policy. Um, and is that going to perpetuate supply chain chaos in, in those months to come, maybe? Um, basically, is that policy big enough to create a ripple through, uh, through the whole supply chain on a worldwide basis? And I don't think I have a definitive answer, um, but generally I would have to say no. Um, the reason I brought this topic up, Pete, is I saw something the other day that um, Foxconn, there's a, a district um, where it was locked down in uh, Zhengzhou, and um, they locked it down. The Foxconn, it's a campus, Pete. I was blown away. 200,000 people work at this factory. It's a campus. You live there, you work there, you do the whole nine yards. And um, uh, the Chinese government started locking it down for, uh, for COVID. And I think the cases 
were, if you look at 200,000, it was like 167. Um, it was in the hundreds, the low hundreds, um, and it went locked down. So I, I bring that up because uh, two things. Number one, there was also talk about um, the, the workers and the employees were jumping ship because they didn't want to be isolated. There were uh, people that were potentially uh, exposed and uh, they were putting them, the government was putting them into areas where they would be quarantined. And so there was kind of this mass exodus of people saying, I'm out of here. They literally were walking home uh, further inland China to say, I'm not going to be held held uh, held hostage. Um, but then the Foxconn came back and said, hey, you know what? If you want to work um, uh, extended hours, um, if you are super efficient in how you work and you wanted to work essentially nonstop in the month of November, they would give you all these type of bonuses. So, um, and that seems to be working. So my whole point in this one, Pete, is that uh, I think there's gonna continue to be zero COVID policy. They doubled down on it, I think this weekend, where there was some talk about, hey, those restrictions and that approach may be lifted, but um, this past weekend, the Chinese government said, nope, we're still in the zero COVID type of policy. So. Um, ultimately, I think that their uh, companies are going to throw money at the problem and um, say, hey, for a few extra bucks here and a few extra dollars there, if you stay, uh, we'll keep the assembly lines moving forward. Um, I, I think that um, there will be a slight impact, but uh, the financial compensation, like anything else in the world, is, is I think, going to trump it. And there won't be much of a supply chain blip. Uh, you'll hear about it because it's a good story. Um, and the one thing I'll leave, Pete, is, is this potentially, just like uh, Russia is talking about pipeline problems, we have to take it down to repair, to control the situation on uh, the macro level. I don't know if zero COVID policy is going to have the same impact where they could use that to control the flow of goods out of China. I, I don't know if that's conspiracy theory-esque, if there's bigger problems over there than to to tweak it and turn a lever and push a button to have that type of outcome. But so I guess my take on this, Pete, is that, uh, no, I don't think there's going to be that much of an impact. I think it's still going to uh, make the headlines, but it's not big enough to, uh, uh, to really impact you and I as consumers on this side of the pond. I'm going to, I'm going to agree with you. Uh, and the reason for that is we've, we've we're at a, reached a point now where this policy has gotten so um, dialed in very focused. So they're, they're like a laser beam. And we're talking about a specific factory in a specific part of the world. And we're, we're not talking about big, massive cities, like when they now lock down Shanghai. So with the, um, the zero COVID, you know, it's not like the flu, right? But um, as more and more people are doing a better job of keeping this thing locked down, as they're doing a better job of geographically pinning it down and understanding its effect on its populace. I think that the, the likelihood of them allowing this to be disruptive to their export economy is probably minimal. And their understanding of how it's going to affect the supply chain has broadened over the course of the past couple of years. So I think they'll use it with sparing effect, but they'll use it in a more focused way. And I don't think it's going to have the same effect that it would have had, say, a year ago. I think we're all learning how to better manage the effects of COVID-19 on economies, on our societies. Uh, and I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. It's not going to have the same long, long uh, tail end that it would have had, say, a year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Your topic, my friend, what are you kicking us off with? 
Yeah. So um, it might sound like a political topic, but it's not. Uh, so today is the, what's today's date here, buddy? It's the 8th of November and it is election day here in the United States. So if nothing else, hopefully I'm going to not have these stupid political ads and spam texts on my phone anymore after tomorrow. Uh, but we will, if, if we don't have everybody arguing about whether or not these elections were legal, we'll be able to have a, uh, a Congress and a Senate that is um, intact after January. And what most people are assuming will happen is that at least one one part of this bicameral legislature, either the probably most likely the Congress, is no longer going to be controlled by the Democratic Party. Uh, it's going to be, you know, fully Republican. And there's even a chance that the Senate might be um, run by the Conservative Party here in the United States. If that is the case, it allows the president to stop focusing on domestic matters because, let's face it, domestic matters are probably going to be pushed by the Republican Party. Um, now, if they go anywhere with the president, I guess we'll find out. But uh, it's more likely what will happen is that the president, the White House, and his administration will start to push down to Congress more bipartisan-friendly, international relations-based foreign policy. And a lot of that will have to do with trade. So we're probably going to see um, a push towards bilateral trade agreements, uh, as we've spoken in the past with Chile, probably a, uh, a push again to do something about GSP to get that thing back again. Uh, the Republican Party has made it pretty clear that they wanted to make that a win for a Republican Congress. So that will probably come up again. It talks about a bilateral with Cambodia, a bilateral with Vietnam, and trying to uh, simplify something between the United States and Europe. So this could be two years of some really, really fascinating growth with trade policy and the United States, given the fact that that's more likely to find success from a bipartisan perspective with any new Congress or Senate. Do you think that's detracting from the main focus of the economy, gas prices, things of that nature, and it's more of a play in that in that realm? Or um, do you think there's genuine interest to have good international trade policy? I think that there is interest to have good international trade policy. And I think that the Republican Party uh, conservatives are always going to be the party of trade. Uh, and, and there's a there's a genuine desire by all parties to find some way of overcoming these tariffs that are still in place with China. I mean, at this point, we might as well just call them the, the Trump Biden tariffs because they've been in place now for what two years with President Biden. Mm -hmm. So they're just as much his as they are President Trump's. He could turn them off anytime he wants. So um, you know, we need to find some way to bring probably more more stable trade relations with China as well. And that could be something that he could work on as well. So I don't see it as much as a distraction as a way to create a legacy of trade for President Biden uh, prior to the coming election cycle. Yeah, cool. Good point. Good point. So I guess it's halftime. We're uh, jumping into the favorite part of the show uh, where we have a little banter. And the beauty of having this show, Pete, is that we can talk about whatever we want doesn't have to be related to supply chain logistics. It's just whatever we feel is uh, on our mind, which I like. And Cap Logistics is the one that enable us to do that. So halftime brought to you by Cap Logistics. Um, Pete, why don't you just kick us off? I'm good with that. Yes, sir. So um, for those of you who have been living under a rock this past week, we had a 1.9 billion dollar Powerball uh, that was available to us. Uh, if, if you were of that ilk. I 
did buy Powerball tickets uh, when the number is that big. I'm, I'm taking a swing at it. Um, just found out a little while ago that nobody won. So there was a delay in the, um, the drawing for, I guess, for a couple of states that had a difficult time reconciling their system. So they drew it a little bit late. But in that drawing, there were no winners, which I think is incredible. Just mathematically, the likelihood that they came up with a number that nobody had. I think that you know, that was worth the five bucks or whatever it was that I, six bucks, whatever it was that I put in for my couple of numbers. And uh, I think that lotteries are fascinating because I am mathematically skilled enough to know the likelihood of winning is so remote that it's just, it's, it's not going to happen. But two questions, Doug, uh, and I'll help you by giving you my answers. One, okay. do you play, do you play massive lotteries? That's question number one. Absolutely. So Massive meaning size of jackpot. Yeah. Do you play like mega millions and powerballs? Yep. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. And then two, um, have you spent any time thinking about what you would do with the money? So I am the worst to ask this question to Amy and I have actually descended into arguments about this because I am so uptight and conservative, like do not sign the ticket, call our lawyer, lock up the house, pack up everyone. We're leaving. We're going into seclusion until we set up a trust. Um, you know, the trust is signing the back of the ticket. We are not. Um, that money is being immediately put into a trust. We're not spending any of it. We're taking out part of it so that we could buy a home. I'm hiring security. We don't go anywhere without people with this from this point forward, 24 seven armed security. I'm talking about the kind of Navy SEALs that still eat raw meat, people that are armed to the teeth. I'm going to, I don't, I'm not, you know, like, we're going to buy a bunch of cars. Like, no, 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 no. Bulletproof Chevy Suburbans. And a guy's going to drive me everywhere I go because I'm going to day drink. That's all I'm going to do. That's going to be my job for the rest of my life. I'm going to day drink. And there's going to be someone who drives me from place to place who is heavily armed and has a bad attitude and knows that I'm going to pay them extremely well to keep myself and my family um, safe. And everyone that comes to me and says, I got a great business idea, too bad. I don't care. I don't care. We're not doing it. Don't come ask me for money. Don't come ask me for anything. Call my lawyers, call my business manager. If they think it's a great idea, cool. But don't be like, hey, Pete, remember we were best friends in high school? And yeah, don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care. I'm not don't even bother me. No, I don't care. So it's it's none of this. We're going to go travel and get a... Uh, no. All it does to me is create intense amounts of anxiety, Doug, thinking about being that rich. If you win this next... It seems to be like $2.2 billion, I guess. If you take the cash... If you take the cash payout in New Hampshire, you're going to end up with like $900 million. And to me, that is like a death sentence of mental illness. I don't know if I could handle being that rich. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I would be okay with that. I would just be terrified of someone kidnapping my children or hurting Amy or, or, you know, tell with me, if they kidnap me, they could keep me, you know, put me in a hole for six months. I'll lose some weight. But the, the, the idea of being that rich would just be too much. It would be too much. Yeah. I think you took kind of my thought on that. Uh, but drop some steroids in it and throw a turbo a turbocharger <laughs> on that. <laughs> My take is, well, let's get a lawyer and we'll make sure we move slowly and make sure we're as anonymous as possible. And that's the extent yeah. of, of that conversation. Just, yeah, I have friends that are like, I'm gonna, I, I, that kind of money, man, I'm going to buy part of the Boston Bruins and, and I'm, you know, I'm going to live like Dan Balzerian. I'm like, no, no, you're not. No, uh-uh. 
Everyone you've ever known is going to sue you saying that you owe them money from something. Your, your family is going to sue you. Like your brother is going to sue you for, for, you know, damn emotional damage for when you were in your twenties. You're going to like, no, no, this is not worth it. You need to hide in some, some tax haven in the Caribbean and be surrounded by African mercenaries armed to the teeth. That's what you need to do. Trust me. Like this is no, uh, uh-uh. uh. you're not, you're not going to act like some cartoon character. You are going to live your life in fear, For you can't be that rich. You just can't. It's not fun anymore. I'm so sorry. I just opened this a little thing for Spindrift. This is half full. This is half full. I just I see. opened it. Uh-huh. So, uh, I'm a half full guy. Oh, you're a half full guy. Well, that's that's adorable, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm you know clearly I've got problems, man, because I just can't I can't find the joy in those sorts of things like I used to. You know, I the idea of being that wealthy, it's paralyzing. It's paralyzing. If given the chance, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. Hey, cool. This show will be, you know, it'll be me and Keenan if you win, I guess, because we'll never see you again. Yeah. yeah. True. True. <clears throat> so what's I yours? Mean, yeah. So this one um, is basically how a CSNNY, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, this one was when Young was part of it, how a song can help you with raising your kids. And um, what I mean by that is there's a song called Teach Your Children. People may know it as Teach Your Children Well, which is a lyric in the song, but the song is actually called Teach Your Children. Deja Vu album, 1970. Um, I think Graham Nash wrote the song. Um, And I heard it on the radio, Pete, after I had a conversation with with my wife. And so this, I'm going to give you some perspectives here, right? This is super important. I have a perspective. You have kids. I have kids. I have the bookends of perspective because my children are in college, so we're on one end of the bookend. And my wife is a first grade teacher, so she's on the front end of that book bookend. And I want to give you a couple perspectives. Whenever my wife asked the kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer when that question was posed to you and I was doctor, fireman, professional athlete, um, things that were giving and helped people. You know what the comment is now when that question's asked? A six-year-old says they want to be a YouTuber, which is essentially, they don't understand the term influencer, but that is what they are saying. And probably 80% of six-year-olds are saying they want to be a YouTuber, which is amazingly um, catastrophic. Take to the other side, right? My... um, My son specifically, a lot of his buddies are into the gamification of gambling and not how you invest, but how you trade. And if you can parlay this and and double down on that, you don't really have to do a lot of work because you can just gamble. And gambling is fun and it's easy. And the gamification of it, these guys that are uh, going into adulthood are realizing or or thinking that you can uh, get rich by gambling. So here's my take is that there is a very important read in between those bookends from when your children are five until they go off to college or become uh, adults. You need to make sure your kids have the right perspective on life. You need to teach them correctly because it's horrifying when a six-year-old says they want to be a YouTuber. And it's horrifying when an adult, an emerging adult says that the best way 
uh, to get rich is to gamble. It, it is shocking to me. I'm not even kidding, Pete. We need to make sure that we're teaching our kids the right lessons. We need to push them in the right direction. And it's that 15 years in between those bookends that you're going to have success. So I implore our listeners, if you have children within the bookends, take my story and um, make sure that your kids are moving in the right direction and teach your children well. I can't, I can't disagree with you, Doug. Um, but what if your son said he wanted to be an investment banker? Or he wanted to be in finance, which is basically just algorithmic gambling. I see where you know? you're going with this. I see where you're going with it. You know, in which case he'd be just screwing entire generations of investors. Uh, and the influencing thing, when I would, uh, you know, I, I distinctly remember telling my mother I was going to give up a financially lucrative job to go out on the road and tell fart jokes for a living. And she's about how so, are you going to pay your bills? And I'm like, I'm going to go up on stage and waka, 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 you know, and uh, we're going to see what happens. And it's probably no different than saying I'm going to be an influencer, yeah, but well, it's. Um, it was, it was a yeah. good dichotomy between that story of uh, the bookends and hearing that CSNY song. Uh, within a matter of uh, 12 hours of each other, which said, I got to talk to our listeners about this. So take care of the bookends. The time in between is critical. Sure is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about this all day, Doug. Um, but let's, um, let's hit up the next, the next topic. That's going to do it for <laughs> halftime brought to you by our friends at Cap Logistics. Um, to learn more about them, check them out at caplogistics.com. And with that, yeah. we'll get back to the trade. So what is topic number two, Doug? Yeah, that was a rough transition. I didn't set that up very well, Pete, so I apologize. No, it's kind you don't of, have to uh, apologize what, for anything. What, uh, I can't remember. What, what do you say? It? Oh, the... Um, Casey Kasem and the dead dog. Yeah, that's it. The Casey Kasem yeah. transition. Like, all right. God, that, is the, that is the best. That yes. is the best. <laughs> Yeah. yeah for sure. So this is, so my second topic's a quick one and it's basically, I was trying to get cute with it and basically say, you know, how much for the doggy in the window? This is how much Perfect. for that logistic, that logistics company in the window. So first of the pandemic, um, I'd indicate there's going to be a lot of uh, acquisitions and there were because there was a lot of money going into the supply chain logistics field for obvious reasons. And everybody was going to gobble up the next um, value add that will help uh, grow their business uh, as a full service kind of logistics company. And we did see that. There's a lot of uh, log tech um, uh, technology around logistics that people were gobbling up and, and accessing. And there was quite a few acquisitions. Well, there's still going to be acquisitions, Pete, but it's going to flip the script and it's going to be more for, I need to um, really focus in and, and uh, develop my core competencies. Uh, I think you had some experience with that, but hey, we're gonna get rid of the distractions when the economy's uh, challenged and we're trying to make ends meet and be a profitable company. We're gonna get rid of distractions and we're gonna uh, hyper-focus on our core competency. And there will be acquisitions which will complement the core competency because we've talked about owning the rails in the past. And if you can own the, own the rails, you can maintain control. But those rails are only going to be focused on the core competency. So I think what's going to happen in 2023 is there's still going to be uh, acquisitions 
but they're going to be more targeted to the point where you say, yeah, that makes sense. I, you know, they're a trucking company. They, they bought another asset-based trucking company. That makes sense. Versus the, why the hell are they buying a, a log tech company to expand their their uh, uh, their portfolio? So the, the key part of that, in my opinion, Pete, and this is my last comment here, is it's going to be a lot of middle mile, meaning uh, not necessarily ocean freight, because the ocean freight guys talked a lot about buying airplanes and cargo and getting into those type of things. And the final mile, I think it's still trying to figure itself out with acquisitions. There's still a lot of energy around creative new solutions. So it's going to be that middle mile that's just the blocking and tackling of moving freight from warehouses to distribution centers where you're going to see acquisitions um, in that field that are going to be hyper-focused on the core competency of those companies. Yeah, lots of money being spent left and right. A lot of people who are going to be selling at the top of the market a lot of people who are going to be dumping assets that they probably shouldn't have bought in the first place and people who are patient that are going to be filling in the blanks of their business. I think you're, you're also going to be seeing people who relate to the party that, that are wondering why they didn't jump on board when they could have and um, are finding that they're missing something, a key part in their, their overall capacity that they should have had. And then as far as, Focusing on the basics, that is what your shareholders want. They want to see the things that are working and they want to see you expand on them. They don't want cute in a down economy. Now, clever solutions. What's the line I saw on LinkedIn? Um, simple scales, complicated fails, right? So um, you, you, want to, you want to stick with the recipe right now um, when you're a stable, large company, and then the smaller ones are going to be taking risks and they're going to try to make themselves a bright, shiny object when we come out of this. I don't think it's going to be a long, ugly financial cycle, but for the course of the next, say, 18 to 24 months, this is the time to buckle down and do what you do right. And we'll see who comes out of this thing on top. Yeah. Good point. All right. Bring us home. Okay, so, um, you know, stifling news, all, speaking of the economy, stifling news all over the place over the course of these past couple of months and weeks. I mean, hell, I was the victim of it, you know. Um, the, 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 um, the layoff news of these, of these um, technology companies, whether it was Wayfair, where I was part of that layoff. Oddly enough, my last day was followed by my first day at my new job. Time that one pretty well. Uh, as and, and then Meta, which everybody yesterday was saying that layoffs are going to happen over the course of these next couple of days, pretty significant ones. Twitter, who just dumped jobs um, last week, and now we're we're seeing it across all of these tech platforms, and um, now across different places and, and pieces of um, of technology stocks. But now it's trickling into more interesting parts of the economy. Carvana yesterday had a positively dismal financial um, forecast revealed. And then on top of that, really bad financial news. Their stock is not performing at all. And that's for a couple of reasons that they can do something about, but a lot of ones that they can't, Doug. If you've been paying attention to the car market, the um, used car market, which was ridiculous for a while because of chip shortages and supply chain shortages, is being very negatively affected by two very specific issues. Number one is that we have a real problem now with financing. So because interest rates have gone up so high and um, nearly 
I think that the number I read this morning in the Wall Street Journal was that 70% of all used cars are financed. So nearly everyone is financed these. And these are normally the second most expensive thing in an American home is their car. So it's the house and then it's the car. And now they become so expensive that people are financing cars. Sometimes seven years they're financing these things um, that you're, you're having a hard time justifying the expense of, 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 of this car over seven years when the typical American car payment now is, is $650 a month. And that's incredible, you know? So yeah, it's insane. So you, you see that in the second half of Carvana's problem is a glut of inventory. So because the cost of these things to invest in, to, to buy one and to, uh, the interest rates are so high, it's starting to scare people off, which means that necessarily having a lot of inventory, which was great for them and great for companies like CarMax, is actually, a, you know, it's an anvil around their throat. Having a lot of inventory is bad for the old spreadsheet. You know, it's, it's, it's bad for the balance sheet. So these two things are causing them a lot of pain. Now, taking Carvana away for a second, what does that tell us about the broader economy? It says that interest rate increases are having the desired effect on buying used cars and probably buying new ones as well. As we're seeing the supply chain change in new cars, ones that were quite desirable, you would see massive markups. Uh, Ford Broncos, as an example, a lot of the more desirable sports cars, you would see $5,000, $10,000, $25,000 markups the dealer's putting on them. Those aren't there anymore. A lot of that is because of these interest rates. So it's happening there. We're going to start to see that lower the cost of cars. And as cars begin to come down, inventory is going to be sitting on lots. As inventory sits on lots, dealers are going to have a hard decision to make about lowering these prices even more. The next thing that that will start to happen to, of course, is going to be in the housing market. Same situation. Houses are going to have to, people are going to have to consider just how much do I want to make on the sale of this house? Will it be as much? Probably not. The inventory issue is just not the same. People want these homes. They want them in certain places. And we're seeing a migration of people still out of cities into the suburbs. And we're not making as many houses as we make cars. People don't turn over houses as often as they turn over cars. 40% of American households buy a new car every year. So um, it's, it's interesting, though, that this is a uh, is it a I put this in the text today. Is it a good sign that we're seeing a slowdown? I would say yes. This is a good sign for inflation because it means that the desired effects of hammering on the interest rates are now being seen in the marketplace. It's a bad sign for consumers. It's a bad sign for American households. It's a bad sign for people like you and I that, um, you know, hopefully want to have lower mortgages, hopefully have want to have lower car payments, have kids that are going out in the world and starting their own lives and want to build their own lives and their own investment portfolios. It's interesting to take that with uh, interesting for your take to be a leading indicator of you know the, the, uh, the larger economy, which I'd never thought of that uh, specific to cars. You know, like you said, I think Carvana went from a $60 billion valuation down to like one 1.4 yeah. in, in a very, the swings that come around with, with some of these, uh, you know, unicorns, so to speak, is just, it's, uh, it, it's amazing. So I, I think you're, you're spot on. And I had not thought of it as an indicator of other things to come as far as the car market doing that. So nice one. I, I like it. And I'm, I have no plans to buy a new car uh, anytime soon. Me either. Yeah, good. Yeah. 
Well, um, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's edition of Global Trade This Week, which means we had one last week, and we're going to have one next week. That's what's so great about the title of the show, Pete. The other thing is that we wouldn't be here without Cap Logistics. I always say that Keenan pushes the buttons and turns the levers to make this thing happen, and we really appreciate him and Cap for putting this thing out there to the world. So I think with that... Um, you know, we were talking about Big Lebowski. I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, you're a dead ringer for a sidekick there. So uh, it, it, it's, uh, it's a good look. Good luck. You're out of your depth, Donnie. You're out of your depth. <laughs> and anyway, I think we'll wrap it up with that. I want to thank everybody for joining us Global Trade this week, and we will see you later. Take care. Later, peace. See you next week. Thanks, Doug.